As He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. This is, at least in part, what we talked about last week, being holy. Now I want to pose a question to us this morning. Given that Peter says, be holy in all our conduct, where does this holy conduct begin? Where does the practical holy living play itself out first? So if Peter says, I need you guys to understand that you need to be holy in all of your conduct, since he's talking about conduct, the way that we live, the way that we act, the way that we practically play out this holiness, where does that start? I would argue, and I believe scripture makes it crystal clear, that it begins with love. I'm going to say that again so you can amen right there. When we are thinking about where holy living plays itself out perfectly, it begins with love. If you're going to be one who desires to live out the holiness of God in your life, it will mean that you will love other people. There are many other virtues that we should live out. No doubt there are many other qualities that come along with this holy conduct. But first and foremost, it is love. The world will know that we are Jesus' disciples by the way we love one another. If we are of God, then we will love because God is love and love is from God. We cannot claim to love God if we do not love our brother. And if the spirit of Christ lives within us, we will love. Faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. And without love, we are nothing. So Peter, after mentioning holiness for the first time really in this letter, Peter then moves or transitions to talking about loving one another. And I want to let you know, he is going to undergird, he is going to build a foundation under this idea of love that is huge for us this morning. And I want us to take a while to look at it. First Peter chapter 1, verses 22, and we're going to read through chapter 2, verse 3. And we're going to talk about love in the wild this morning. Verse 22. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is grass and its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. First thing I want us to see very clearly, love one another. That's what Peter says. In verse 22, love one another. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. When Peter says love one another, he is not coming from a place of just detached theological or philosophical intellect. 
All right. So Peter hasn't got by himself and and locked a room up and hid away and just started thinking about the fact that we should love one another and come up with this idea out of nowhere as if somehow this is some just some detached philosophical or theological principle that we need to put into play, that we need to love one another. The reality is he walked with love incarnate for three years. Think about that. When he says love one another, he is coming from a place of having watched Jesus love him and love others for three years. I mean, there is probably no one on the planet who got a better view, maybe John, maybe you could argue John, that got a better view of what love and loving other people really looks like than Peter. He watched Jesus. He knows that holy conduct begins with love because the holy God had lived it out in front of him. He got to watch God love people. So when he says love one another, you see why I say it's not just some detached intellectual thing for him? This is a very real, practical way of living. And because he watched Jesus do it, that's why he can say this. And Peter Knowing this kind of love, he's going to add a few words to it just to make it clear the the depth of what he means here. First, he says earnestly. In verse 22, he says, love one another earnestly. This word earnestly is a physiological term. It means to stretch to the furthest limit or to reach the furthest extent. So what Peter is saying by using this word earnest, he is saying that the kind of love that he saw in Jesus and the kind of love that we are supposed to live out for others reaches to the end of ourselves and then further. If your love does not cost you something, it's not love. Let me say that again. If your love does not cost you something, it is not love. Love is sacrificing yourself for somebody else. It's giving of yourself for somebody else. It is reaching to the limit of what you can do and then pass that. Love each other earnestly. It's got to cost you something or this person's just an acquaintance that you can dismiss just as easily as you said hi. Peter also adds, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This phrase from a pure heart refers to what compels our love. Love is an attitude that is compelled from within us. It does not come about because of some legalistic rule. I have to love my wife. Have to. Because I told her I would. Man, that probably makes her feel so good. (laughs) Jess, I love you, and today I'm going to love you because, you know, I said I would, so I'm going to. That's probably not going to make her feel real nice. Oh, wait, so, so you're loving me because 21 years ago you said you would? Like, what about today? What about how you feel today? What about from within you today? No, babe, it's just, you know, I, I made a promise. I'll do it. That's not the kind of love we're talking about. 
We're talking about a love that comes from a pure heart, that comes from within us. See, I have to love my wife because I have to love my wife. I have to. It's so down deep in me. I have to. And this is what he is saying. He is saying, listen, you need to love from a pure heart. You don't do it just because there's some rule out there that says you do it. It's going to be motivated from within. It's going to be compelled from within by the Holy Spirit of God. So not some legalistic thing. And I would be amiss, by the way, if I did not say at this point that the definition of love in our culture is really messed up. Really, really messed up. Today, that word is thrown around all over the place, and I'm convinced that most people who use it have no clue what real love is. So we're going to have to work really hard, church. And I mean this. We're going to have to work really hard to define love and live it out practically. Because it is, we cannot just go by the definition or the idea that the world throws out there for what love is because it is way too simple and easy and ridiculous. Love is way better than the way the world defines it. And we're going to have to work really hard to understand what biblical love is. That's a different message, but I wanted to say that. So Peter makes it clear. I want you to love each other and I want you to love each other to the furthest extent that you can and go past that. I want you to sacrifice from each other and I want you to love each other from a sincere, deep, pure heart from within yourself. And now he starts talking about the motivations for love. The first one is we are motivated to love by obedience to the truth, by obedience to the truth. He says in verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. I want to talk about that entire phrase there. Since our souls have been purified by obedience to the truth, we are to love one another. Now, what does Peter mean by this? I want you to first notice that Peter doesn't say obedience to a command. He doesn't say obedience to a command. He says obedience to the truth. I believe for many reasons that the truth here that he is speaking of is the gospel. I believe he is saying, since you have purified your souls by obedience to the gospel, because you have believed the gospel, this is not just some random command out there that he's saying you followed. You, pu you purified your soul because of this command you followed. No, he's saying you purified your soul because you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is that belief in Jesus Christ that purified your soul. The word purified could be translated consecrated. That really helps me out. Because when I think of pure, I think uh, of, of getting something clean. Right. Like that's kind of where our minds go. If something is pure, like, you know, pure bottled water from the volcano of Fiji, Fiji water, by the way, it's really good. Um, that's kind of where we go when we think of when we think of pure. And, and I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's talking about setting something aside, purifying it, consecrating it, setting it aside for something. So what I think Peter is getting at here is Peter is saying we, our souls have been consecrated and set apart 
from the ways of the world and from the system of the world. Because of our belief in the gospel, because our obedience to the truth of the gospel, we have been set aside, we've been purified, consecrated, set apart from the ways of the world. For what? For what? For a sincere brotherly love. Peter is teaching us that when we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have now been set aside from the ways of the world so that we can actually love people rightly. You see, before the gospel, before we believed the gospel, before we were set aside, we, we could use the word love, but we didn't really know what that love was all about. But once we come to the gospel, once the gospel of Jesus Christ changes us, now we're set apart to, to really love people properly the way that God intends. God is really, really concerned about creating a new humanity that has its relationships restored in righteousness through love. Let me say that sentence again. God is mightily concerned with creating a new humanity that has its relationships restored in righteousness through love. When God saves us, he sets us apart so that we can have right, righteous, holy relationships with people because of love. When we were in the old humanity, our relationships were so broken and flawed and messed up and we couldn't love each other properly. But, but Peter's saying, but those of you who believe the gospel and have obeyed the truth, you've been set aside for brotherly love. You've been set aside to live out this new humanity separate from the way of the world to actually love people. So we're motivated by brotherly love because we have obeyed the truth of the gospel. And I love this so much because there are so many people who think that the gospel was for the day I got saved. Right? As if I got saved and I needed the gospel to get saved. And now once I'm saved, I'm moving on to something different. I need the, I need the, the pastor or the teacher to, to, to we, we've got the gospel part of it down. Let's go on to something better, something deeper. And I got news for us. Listen, it, it is never about moving away from the gospel to something deeper. It's just about going deeper in the gospel. It's about understanding the gospel more. See, I need the gospel today as much as I did the day I got saved. The gospel has an impact on me right now. I ought to be asking the question, how does the gospel of Jesus Christ affect the way I love people today? It matters today. It informs every aspect of my life. The gospel does right now. Not just the day I got saved. It wasn't just get me saved and let's move on to something different. No, it's let's get saved and now let's walk in the gospel in a deeper and deeper way of understanding. And when it comes to love, it means we're going to love people better and better and better as we understand the gospel better and better and better. Then Peter says this, since you have been born again, since you have been born again, now our Love is energized by the new birth. It's motivated by the gospel and it's energized by the new birth. 
Of course, having been born again is to be born anew, to be made alive in Christ, given a new heart, new desires, and yes, new loves. If, if we had not been born again, we would have no capacity to love like Jesus. You would not be able to love like Jesus if you had not been born again by the Holy Spirit of God. You would have no desire for it, number one, and you'd have no capacity for it. Peter's going to go on to talk about where this new birth comes from, and he uses a, a phrase here. He says, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Now, when he uses the phrase word of God, I do not think he's talking about necessarily Scripture. Okay? We're so used to, to using the phrase Word of God that every time we hear Word of God, we immediately think the Bible. Well, number one, the Bible hadn't even been compiled yet. The New Testament was still being written, and the New Testament hadn't even been compiled yet when he wrote these words. Now, I'm not saying it excludes Scripture. I'm just saying I don't think when he says Word of God, he is saying just the Bible. That you've been born again by the Bible. I also think this is true is because when I look down at, at after he quotes Isaiah in a minute, he says in verse 25 at the very end, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So when he says you were born again by an imperishable seed, that is the word of God, he's saying you have been born again by an imperishable gospel message. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which, yes, now we can say is obviously written down in Scripture. But he is saying the gospel is this imperishable seed that was put within you that changes you. You see, Peter and the early church were finding that when they shared the message of Jesus, something was happening to people. When they were sharing the word of God, the good news, the message of Jesus, Something was happening to people. It was gripping them. People were being transformed by this message. Think, I was blown away at, in just a weird way this week, studying this, when I started thinking about the fact about what we really believe happens as I am talking to you about the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ. You are hearing words coming out of my mouth and if you're not saved and you get saved, the message I'm speaking transforms you by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is crazy. That words coming out of a human being's mouth, when empowered by the Holy Spirit, brings dead people to life. You understand if this isn't true, then we're nuts. Right? If this isn't true, we're crazy people. Because we think I can talk. And if God uses the, the message that I'm talking about, you can be born again. You can be transformed by this message that is being shared with you. And the early church was experiencing this for the first time. Listen, I think the reason why it captivated me is because we're so used to throwing around these words and seeing this happen that we kind of get lost the fact on what kind of miracle this really is. Because when the, the early church was doing this for the first time, this was happening. They, 
they were sharing this message. And for the very first time, people started getting their lives completely transformed. And all the believer did was just tell them the message. They were floored by it. They're like, wait, we're just sharing this message and people are, are getting their lives transformed. They're gripped by this message. I love how N.T. Wright says it. He says, talking about all of this, he said, it's like a type of spiritual blood transfusion that, take, that was taking place in some of the hearers. They were gripped. They were transformed. They were born again. Now, to validate this claim that the new birth is being is energizing our love, he quotes Isaiah chapter 40. And I want to take a few minutes to talk about this because this is remarkable to me. So in Isaiah chapter 40, verse six through eight, this is what he's quoting here in verses 24 and 25. Now, the reason why this is so interesting on why he picked this verse is because this verse from from chapter 40 is the prologue. Or the beginning of the central passage in the book of Isaiah. The central passage in Isaiah is Isaiah 40 through 55. That is like the heart of the book of Isaiah. He is quoting the very beginning of this. And here's what was taking place. Israel was going to go into Babylonian captivity. Okay, They had already been told this by Jeremiah. They had been told that this was going to happen. Details were laid out. God now gives this redemption message to Isaiah in chapters 40 through 55. And he says in chapters 40 through 55, listen, the word of the Lord is forever. And so what I'm about to tell you is going to happen because the word of the Lord endures forever. It is abiding. Yes, you will go into Babylonian captivity. Yes, you will lose everything. You will lose your home. You will lose structures. You will lose institutions. You will lose temple. You will lose everything. And you'll be, you'll be in a land being ruled by people that do not love God. But you will be redeemed and restored. Have faith, have hope in Yahweh. Now that's what the initial message to Israel was from Isaiah 40 through 55. Now, here's what the New Testament writers do. They grab a hold of Isaiah 40 through 55 and they say, yes, the initial truth applied to Israel when they were in Babylonian captivity. But the ultimate truth applies to us living in a world where we need to be redeemed and rescued, where we need to be restored. So imagine the hearers in the first century, again, who are exiles. They have lost their homes their institutions, their structures. They've lost all of this stuff and now they are living, they've been cast out of Rome and now they are, they are living under Roman rule as exiles. And Peter quotes Isaiah 40 and says, the word of the Lord endures. And yes, you are exiles, but the abiding word of the Lord endures and you are going to be redeemed and rescued and brought out. The word of God, this message of Jesus is this imperishable seed that is put within you and brings you to life. Of course, you know what the pinnacle of this Isaiah 40 through 55 passage is? The suffering servant. Right? That's the pinnacle. Starts in chapter 40 and it works its way up and it works its way up until you get to the suffering servant who was broken, was the will of the Lord to crush him. Why? So that he could redeem 
his fruit. So, Peter is saying that the word of God was given to Israel to comfort and redeem. That same word of God, now the message of Jesus Christ, is the imperishable word, imperishable word that brings new life and energizes us to love. So, love one another. It is motivated by our obedience to the gospel. It is energized by the new birth. And love lays aside the flesh. Peter goes on to tell them in chapter 2, So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. The word put away there referred to taking off soiled or dirty clothes. Clothes that were filthy and clothes that were dirty, you are to take them off and lay them aside. And what Peter is saying is, listen, our flesh wants us to wear some dirty clothes. Our flesh wants us to be full of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And he's saying, love takes that off. Love takes that off. Malice, bad blood or holding grudges. Deceit, dishonesty and treachery and falsehood. Hypocrisy, spiritual insincerity or being fake. Envy, resentful and coveting. Slander, gossip and backbiting. Peter's saying, listen, when real love that comes from the obedience to the gospel is motivated by the gospel, is energized by the Holy Spirit in the new birth, that kind of real brotherly love takes this stuff off. Takes it off. You can't have malice. You can't have deceit. You can't have hypocrisy. You can't have envy and slander going on towards somebody and then say, love you, brother. No, you don't. Now, I have 20 minutes left, so I'm going to do something real quick, okay? This is kind of an aside, all right? I want us to talk for a minute about a word that I think if we replace this word with these Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. I think if we do this word, these things will have a very difficult time existing. It is the word vulnerability. So I want to talk about vulnerability for a minute, okay, in regards to love. Researcher Brene Brown defines vulnerability this way. To show up and let ourselves be seen. Now, as soon as I said that, some of you went, ooh, no. Like something within us almost wants to close off when we hear that. Oh, I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to show up and let myself be seen. That, that got some shame that is causing you to just want to close up. But I think one of the things that is missing in loving relationships in our culture generally and in our churches specifically is vulnerability. You see, it is much easier to close ourselves off. It is much easier for us to not be seen and just be malicious, deceitful, hypocritical, envious, and slanderous. You know that's easier, right? It's easier for you to be those things. It's harder to show up and be vulnerable and let yourself be seen. It's harder to be real, to be genuine, to be sincere. But vulnerability is what allows a relationship to bloom into beauty. 
Imagine a married couple who aren't vulnerable. Well, I guarantee you they're not going to have kids. Because you know the vulnerability it takes to have kids and to birth kids? Both require vulnerability. You have to get naked. That's vulnerable. A woman has to birth a child from her womb. Talk about vulnerable. But what happens is that vulnerability allows for us to actually have beauty. If we are closed off in our relationships, those relationships will not be beautiful. They won't be beautiful. They'll be surface level and, and they won't actually create beauty. I, I love what Dr. Kurt Thompson says. He makes this observation. He says, we were made most to powerfully create when we are vulnerable. When we are truly vulnerable with people, we are going to make space for them to step into our lives. So now, now, catch this. When you're not vulnerable, you're not actually leaving room for anybody to step into your life. See, if you're closed off and you shut the doors and you block, block everybody out, you can, you can reach them from an arm's length. But what vulnerability does, vulnerability says, I'm going to allow you to step into my life. I'm going to allow you to get really personal and close and intimate with me. And it's when we do that that our relationships will flourish and bloom and become beautiful. See, we have this all backwards in our societies. In our society. We don't, we don't want to be vulnerable because we think then people will see our weaknesses. Right? And we're ashamed of our weaknesses and we don't want people to see our weaknesses. So we're going to keep everybody closed off and kept out. And, and then we'll just superficially come to church and tell people we love them. But that's not what Peter's talking about. He's not talking about a kind of love that's superficial. He's talking about, about a kind of love that, is, that actually allows your brothers and sisters in Christ to enter into your space and actually develop a loving relationship. This attitude of not being vulnerable is going to keep people at arm's length. It's never going to let people in. We'll never show up and let ourselves be seen. And therefore, real love can't be produced. And I'm, let me make this argument here. When you are not vulnerable and opening up to allow people to into your space and into your life, that's when the malice, the deceit, the hypocrisy, and the slander, and all that stuff gets to creep in. Listen to me. When we don't let people in and we keep them at an arm's length, those are the people that we will treat bad. The people that we let really get in, you don't want to be malicious toward them. You've got this loving, beautiful relationship between you. They're vulnerable and you're vulnerable and you're not judging each other. You're loving each other. You're accepting each other. You're, you're, you're walking with each other. When that kind of thing happens, those aren't the people you're, you're malicious toward. Let me tell you something. There's a, there's a lot of people that I will talk bad about. My wife will not be one of them. You will never hear me trash my wife to you. Ever. Because she, more than anybody else in this world, is a person that I, have, that I have been vulnerable with and I have let her in. 
the people that I have a tendency to be hypocritical towards or to slander or to deceive or to be malicious towards are the people I've kept at arm's length. I've kept them out. And it's easy to trash them because they're, they're there. Oh, I'll tell them that I love them, but I'll, I'll, I'll rip them later because they're over there. But the people that I'm vulnerable with, so what would happen, church, if we said, man, we really want to love each other? And, and we started getting vulnerable with each other. We started letting people into our space to love us and to be loved by us. What if we showed up to be seen? Flaws in everything. All the stuff that we've done in our past, people can know about it. And guess what? They're still going to love us. They're still, still going to accept us. They're still going to serve with us. They love us like Jesus. See, we're so scared to do that. And I'm convinced that when we don't do that, this stuff is going to come out. This stuff is going to come out. I love what Peter says that my side is over. I love what Peter says, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Peter sees milk as that which the Christian needs in order to everything that the Christian needs in order to nurture their new life. So if we want to grow in our love for one another, then we have to long for every good spiritual thing that we need to grow up. You know, people that don't have deep relationships are spiritually and emotionally immature. Sorry if that offends you. If you're like, well, I don't have deep relationships, then you are spiritually and emotionally immature. You need to grow up. You need to grow up. Because it is when we are craving spiritual things. We're craving Jesus. We're craving his word. We're craving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are, we are going after it the way that a newborn baby goes after milk. It's incessant. It is instinctive. It is, it is absolutely necessary. When we go after spiritual things the way a baby goes after newborn milk, we will grow up. Our love for each other will grow up. As we grow up into salvation, guess what we're growing into? Love. The more I am sanctified, the more loving I will be. And Peter is saying, like a newborn baby, long for pure spiritual milk, that you may grow up into salvation and love people rightly. And Peter ends with this beautiful phrase. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Brother James has said this on multiple occasions. Take the word if it can be translated since. Since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Why should all of this matter, Neil? Peter, why do you care that we love each other so much? Why does it need to be motivated by the gospel? Why does it need to be energized by the Holy Spirit? Why do we need to put off all this malice? Why does this matter so much? He says, because it matters to people who have tasted that the Lord is good. So because we've tasted that God is good and Jesus is good, we need to be good. We need to love. People who have tasted that the Lord is good, they will love people. They will want to love people. 
They will want to spend their lives on behalf of other people. They will want to sacrifice. How can you taste that the Lord is good and then not love your brother? John says you can't. Peter is saying you can't. If we want to be holy, if we want all of our conduct to be holy, it has got to start with love, church. And let me tell you what I see coming from a lot of quote unquote Christians all over the place on social media and in the media and is not love. It's not love. R.C. Sproul said, I don't have to see everything like you, but I'm supposed to love like you. It boils down to this. If we want to be holy, we're going to love. And we're going to love if we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. If you've tasted that the Lord is good, there is going to be within you a burning desire to love like Jesus. And you're saying, well, Neil, I do want to love like Jesus, but I, I don't do a very good job of it. Then you need to crave spiritual milk in a way that you haven't before. You need to go after spiritual nourishment like never before. See, we can just, we can just think that we, you know, we, we don't come to church, we don't read our Bible that much, we don't really pray that much, and we think that we're just going to keep living our lives and growing sanctification. That ain't the way it works, guys. And if you're not in the Word, if you're not coming to church, if you're not being vulnerable with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and love, you're not going to love people. It's not going to happen. One thing that I remember, I came here when I was 12, came to Calvary Hill when I was 12 years old. 12 years old, turned 44 two weeks ago. When I said that, my back spasmed. It was weird. I don't know what happened. Um, and David, I don't appreciate you laughing when I said I, I was 44. Either. Um, one thing that I remember hearing about this church from the moment I got here is that Calvary Hill is a very welcoming and loving place. And I believe that with all my heart. I believe we are a very welcoming and loving place. But church, we have more work to do. We have more work to do. We are not a finished product. Calvary Hill Baptist Church needs to get better at loving like Jesus. We need to get better at it. The way that we do that is by first believing the gospel, be energized by the Holy Spirit so that you can put away all the other junk that gets in the way. We can crave spiritual stuff and love each other rightly. And I don't know about you, but as I was putting this message together, I was convicted by God that I, I need and want to do this better. I want to do this better because I want to look like Jesus. He did it great.